0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. If you will, I'm going to invite you to uh, find your way back to your seat. If you are a guest this morning, I especially want to welcome you. My name is Jared. One of the pastors here at Fellowship, and um, on behalf of the members of this church... Uh, We especially want to welcome you today to our gathering. Um, If you have yet to receive a Connect card, uh, be sure and grab one of those uh, at the welcome table after it's over. Uh, We'd love to get some information about you and your family. That way we can have a record of your visit and we can seek to serve you or get you whatever information uh, that you may need. So again, welcome. So glad that you were able to be here. I want to ask you a question this morning. Just a moment, Adam's going to come and preach. Before he does, I want you to think about something. If you were walking in the woods, and you had never read the Bible in your entire life, if you had never been a part of a church, no one had ever told you who God is and what He's done for you in Christ, and you came across this book, these, this sacred text, and you read this Bible from cover to cover, what kind of church would you plant? What would the church look like? This is the question that the core team of this church wrestled with a little over five years ago when we began to work towards planting this church. We knew that if we were going to pour our time and our energy and make the sacrifices we were going to make to try to plant a church in Paragol, that we wanted to make sure that it lined up with God's word and what it says the church should be. And as we begin to wrestle with this question and we begin to just read the scriptures, one thing that became abundantly clear to us is that if we are going to be the church that Jesus has called us to be, we need to be led by a group of qualified elders. Um, there's a lot of different passages in scripture I can look at today to talk about the need for elders and the local church. I'm just going to read one to you, though. 1 Peter chapter 5 says this. First thing I want you to see from this text is this, quickly this morning. There's one lead pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and it's not me. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus, Peter says in here, is the chief shepherd. He is the main personality. This church never has been and hopefully never will be a church that is built on any personality or any person other than Jesus Christ, whom Peter here calls the chief shepherd. He's the main elder of this church. But by his design, what he has decided to do is to appoint elders underneath him within the church who he says is to do two things. One, he says in verse 2, we're to exercise oversight. We're to shepherd the flock as elders overseeing the church. That means that as we function under his authority and his leadership, the elders of this church are to make sure that we are guarding, that we are helping feeding and leading and guiding and equipping this church To do what it is that Christ has called us to do. The second thing that elders are called to do, this is in verse 3, is we are to set an example to the flock. What that means is that everything that we're calling you to do, we better be calling you to do it because A, Christ has first already called you to it. And B, we better make sure that we're doing it first. As pastors, we are to set an example for you. We are not to be just like Jesus, but we are to give the most accurate representation of Christ that we possibly can so that you as a church can give an accurate representation of what Christ is like to the world around us. Does that make sense? So we're called to set an example. Elders are to be appointed in every single local church. We see this all over the scripture in the qualification of the elders. I'm going to read to you quickly from Titus chapter 1. It says this. In Titus 1, Paul is writing and he says in verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. So Paul would go plant churches and when he'd plant a church, he would then put elders in the local church to oversee it, to shepherd the flock, to set an example. And then here's what he says the qualifications of an elder are. And listen. As I read this, here's what I want you to see. These qualifications, guys, it's basic Christianity is all it is. So as I read these, don't just ask yourself, hey, are the elders, do they meet these qualifications? Because hopefully we do, and you can't ask that and hold us accountable to that. But ask yourself, like, are these characteristics true of me? And if not, let me ask you, why? And what are you doing to grow in these areas? Paul says, an elder, verse 6, must be above reproach. That's his way of saying everything else I'm about to say in this text. The elder needs to be known for that. He says, the elder must be, if he's going to be a qualified pastor of a church, he must be the husband of one wife. In other words, he must be a one-woman man. If a man, if a pastor cannot lead and love his own bride, he's not called to lead the bride, the church. So we must be able to lead and love our wives well. We're one, right, a one-woman man. Secondly, he says that children are to be believers. Now, in your Bible, there's probably a footnote there, like in mine, that says a better translation for believers is actually must be faithful. In First Timothy 3, which we see a parallel um, a section here talking about the qualifications of elders, uh, Paul talks about how basically pastors need to be able to manage their household well. And so it doesn't mean that our kids actually have to be Christians for us to be qualified. I can't possibly make my kid a Christian, just like I can't make you a Christian. That's only the work of God that can do that, right? But our children should be respectful, our children should be not perfect, but seek to be obedient to their parents. basically our, our children aren 't midget demons, right, like running around, terrorizing everybody else in the church. Okay Our house is in order, including our children seven it says in here, verse seven that an elder should not be arrogant, so elders should not walk around, chest out, puffed up with this 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 confidence about it, this self entitlement that says basically, you are only here by my grace and the church is only being held together by my power and I deserve more than you deserve because I'm better than you. Right? And elders should not have that mindset, but rather as we read last week in Philippians 2, we're to take on the mindset of Christ too. It says in Philippians 2, though Jesus was equal with God, he did not count a quality a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death on a cross. Pastors are servant leaders. Seven, we also see in here some, uh, in verse seven, he says that elders are not to be quick-tempered, they're not to be drunkards, and they're not to be violent. I think if you take those three things and kind of put them in a, in a junk drawer, I think you could sum them up by saying that elders are to be men who are self-controlled. We're not controlled by anything other than Jesus, right? We, we don't have this hair-trigger temper. We're not dr- uh, drunks, right? Which, by the way, let me just make this real clear, we're in the South. The Bible never once condemns drinking, it absolutely condemns drunkenness. Godly men don't need other substances to get them through life outside of Jesus. Okay? This is just what, what, what Paul is saying here. And we're not violent. It says in verse 7 as well, we're not greedy for gain. So pastors, we're not sitting around one day and saying, what is the best way for me to make money? I know, be a pastor. Right? <laughs> Like, we shouldn't be getting into this thing in order to make money. That shouldn't be our primary reason for pastoring a church. It says in here also, pastors are to be hospitable. That means that we're to literally open up our homes. And we're to open up our lives. So other people can experience our presence ultimately for the purpose of experiencing God's presence. We're to we- have a welcoming presence about us. we are to welcome you in our lives just as God has welcomed us into his. It says also in verse 8, we're to be holy. That doesn't mean we're to be uh, perfect. It just means we're to be set apart by the power of God for the purpose of God. I'm not here one day saying, you know, I wish I could lead a business. And the next day saying, you know, I wish I could be a coach. And then the next day saying, "Ah, I kind of like being a pastor, right? Like, I know God's called me to be a pastor. I've been set apart for his purposes. And then he also says an elder must be able to teach. We must know the word of God. There's one way that I can teach this, or actually one of two ways every single week, or Adam or anybody else. We can either teach it right or we can teach it wrong. And we're going to be given account to God for every word we speak, it says in James. So we need to know this Bible and be able to teach it well. We need to be applying it to our own lives. And we also, it says here in Titus, we need to be able to rebuke those who are walking out of step with it. In order to protect the flock. And then just a couple more things I would add in 1 Timothy 3. and another section Paul just says also that pastors should not be recent converts. And here's the reason for that. Um, When I first started following Jesus I knew I needed Jesus. But I didn't know that I needed him as much as I know I need him now. Does that make sense? The longer I follow Jesus, the more I see my need for Jesus. Because the longer I follow Jesus, the more I see how holy God is and how sinful and broken Jared Pickney is. And the cross is the only thing that bridges the gap between us. So the cross becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And Jesus, therefore, the longer I follow him, it's not like the less I need him, the more I need him and the sweeter he is. Does that make sense? And that's why pastors don't need to be a recent convert. They'll become become puffed up and conceited and fall into condemnation from the devil, that says in First Timothy 3. And then the last thing I would say is they must be thought of well by outsiders. And so whenever you go through the eldership process here and everybody goes through it, I went through it, Luke went through it, Adam is going through it, we have two others right now that are going through it. One of the things you have to do before you become an elder is you have to submit four references to us. And so one of them, uh, for example, is your neighbor. One of them is a coworker if you worked outside the church. One of them is a non-believing, non-Christian friend. Right? I mean, the list goes on because we want to know, are you thought of well, not just by people in the church, because anybody can put on a face and act a part here, but are people outside think of you in these ways? So all of that being said, I'm going to bring Luke up. And uh, over the past year, as you know, when Adam came to Fellowship Paragold, he actually was an elder, served as an elder for, what, five years at the church he was at in Kansas City, but you don't come in to another church as an elder. You have to prove yourself as an elder to each local congregation. And so he came in just like we did, saying, "All right, I'm willing to come and earn the trust of the people." And so we just want to recognize today that over a year of you serving faithfully, uh, going through all of the hard work we asked you to do, uh, leading in a missional community, teaching as you're going to do this morning, uh, leading in love in your family. We believe you meet the qualifications of an elder, and as a church, we affirm that. And uh, I'm going to ask that you just Come on up, and will you guys just honor him by giving him a round of applause? I've got something somewhere to give you, and I can't remember which pocket. Can you check my back pocket for me? I'm just kidding, I'm totally kidding. Oh, wait, it's in my Bible. Um, I think because uh, we (coughs) love you and we're so thankful for all of the hard work you put in um, we have a gift for you somewhere Adam and uh... has anybody seen a gift card to Men's Warehouse because that's what it is we have a gift card for you I promise you we do, somewhere I'll look for it while you're preaching um, since you, since you don't own a suit, um, you need a suit, man. So we got you a, a gift card to Men's Warehouse to buy you a suit. Um, uh, man, so thankful for, for you, brother. And so everything I just said, we believe it wholeheartedly. I'm so grateful that God brought you here and gave us an opportunity to serve alongside each other together as friends and, and gospel partners. And so, um, you've already been a huge blessing to our church. I know you're continue to be. And so I'm going to ask, um, if you will, man, just come right here in the middle of us. We're going to lay hands on you. I'm going to ask Luke to, to pray over you. And, and as, we're praying over Adam. Would you all just pray to yourselves for this man as well?
1: Absolutely, Father, we are thankful that you <laughs> saw Adam in his brokenness and you reached down and redeemed him and made him your son. And not only did you just make him your son, but you brought him here to us. And fellowship is better because of him. And we are so grateful for Adam. And I love that I get to share laughs with him. Mm. I love that I get to know him, mm. um, his insides and his outs, his, his feelings, his, his joys, his uh, victories, his defeats. I, I get to experience all that with him, and I am grateful that he shares that with us all. Um, I'm thankful for his entire family, mm. for Carrie and the girls. And they are equally a blessing to this church. I feel like just in the year that I've known him, Father, that I've known him my lifetime, and that is just a result of your grace and how your gospel works. And we are eternally grateful for Adam. So we ask that you would continue to bless our church through him. We ask for strength and favor upon him and his family. We ask for health, that you would keep them free from sickness, yes. that you would uh, bless them financially, and that you would bless them with joy unshakable. Mm-hmm. Um, we ask that he is sensitive to the Spirit. Yes. Mm-hmm. That he is displaying all your fruit. Mm-hmm. That when people are around him, they feel like they, they leave there knowing that Jesus is in this man. Come on, and we get to experience Jesus every time we're with him. Mm. And we know you're going to do that because you want to make your name famous in this city. You want to make your name famous in this church. And so we trust that you will continue to work through him. Mm. Give him endurance and patience. And grace and kindness and love mm. for Jared and myself when we fail him. Mm. For people in his missional community when they fail him. Mm. When his family fails him. And give us grace when he fails us. Because yeah. Yeah. Jesus, we know you're the perfect pastor. And mm. it's not us that's perfect, but you are. That's right. So, we look forward to many years of celebrating mm. your grace through Adam and his family. Yeah. And do this to make your name famous.
0: Yeah. Amen. Amen.